Oh, there's just something about the way, especially when it comes to partner dancing and like if they have good chemistry, if they're either like siblings or a couple, like if they have just good chemistry and they're dancing and having a great time, I get so inspired by that while I'm playing that I kind of match their energy through my bow and my, and my fiddle playing. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Between the Jigs, an occasional podcast that comes to you from the Rejigged Festival in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, Canada. Our broadcast location is in Mi'kma'ki, the ancestral and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq. Now, in its 12th year, Rejigged is an annual three-day celebration of new directions in Celtic music and dance, featuring concerts and workshops. Last year, in 2020, we took our festival online, and you can still check out some of the concerts on our website, rejiggedfestival.com. This year, 2021, we're in the planning stages of a hybrid festival that will feature both live and streamed performances and workshops. We have a beautiful local audience whom we miss, and we're excited to welcome them all back this fall. But last year, we made lots of new friends all over Canada and all over the world, and we're hoping that we can continue to include them in the online portions of our festival. I'm Christine donnelly Moan, and today, Elizabeth McDonald and I are presenting a conversation we had with Métis fiddle player Brianna Lazotte. You may remember Brianna from our Autumn Lights sessions last year. She played a set with her friend, Colton Bear, and we were enchanted with both her music and her infectious laugh. But before we start our conversation, I want to acknowledge that some listeners might wonder why we didn't discuss or even mention the very distressing news cycle confirmation of the abuses and atrocities acted upon First Nations children by those who placed them in the residential schools all over Canada. We interviewed Brianna on April 2nd, about a month before the world discovered what Inuit, Métis, and First Nations people have long been shouting into the wind. We decided to keep this discussion about Brianna and her life and music, but we wanted to let you know that we mourn every child lost, and we honor those who survived. Are are you in northern Alberta, or would it just be considered Alberta, Alberta, or where are you right now? Um, right now, I am in St. Albert for school. I'm going to school at McEwen University in Edmonton. Um, I did not grow up in northern Alberta. My family is from northern Alberta, but I've always been central Alberta kind of girl. But I'd always go up to go visit them and uh, go visit my family and always have, like, kitchen parties and have big events up there as well, so... Uh -huh. Definitely music-based whenever I went up, up north. And you've spoken yourself about kind of carrying on the tradition or learning from your grandfather and from your uncles. And um, I wondered if you could talk for a minute about the influence of the women in your life on your music, you know, either musical lessons or other lessons that you bring to your music from the women in your life. 
the women in my life, I was very heavily impacted by them because my grandmother was a musician. She was part of the big giant part of my life of kitchen parties and bringing musicians to their house. So my grandma was definitely a huge supporter for me in that way. She played guitar. So when I first started playing the fiddle, she would back me up, her, uh, her and my dad, but mainly her because her dad used to play the fiddle. And that's why she picked up the guitar was with her father. So, which is really cool. Um, and it's just something that is so special because not a lot of people get that connection with their grandparents um, yeah. like I did. My grandfather doesn't play, but he's always there recording and taking pictures of uh, of our jams and stuff. Um, oh, my mom right. has also been a huge, huge supporter of me as well. She is my momager, I like to say. <laughs> she likes to keep me in check, make sure I'm responding to emails on time. And if I'm too busy with school or life in general, she helps me along the way with those emails, which is really great. Wow. And my very first fiddle teacher, she was a well, a woman and she was from Red Deer. Um, and she definitely helped me with learning the basics of the fiddle and learning my helping me find my voice in the fiddle. So she's definitely someone very special to me as well. Oh, that's fabulous. Thank you for that. Um, I did hear you talking about the fiddle that you used on your Scratch'em album, and we will talk a little bit more about your album later. But can you tell me about that particular instrument? Yeah, so that was my great-grandfather's great fiddle. I inherited it a couple years ago, so it's definitely something that is really really special to me because uh that's my this my grandma's dad's fiddle so she she wanted me to have it since i was a fiddle player in the family which has been really awesome and yeah. really special especially to have that uh connection with my great grandfather because i'm one of the only older grandchildren that didn't get to meet him because he passed before i was born so can we talk a little bit about the creative process um so on your album there are some you know, older tunes that have been around for generations and some newer tunes, but you've also written some tunes. Yep, so I have. <laughs> how do you start with a tune or how does a tune start with you? Does it start like just as a phrase and then you build on it or do you sit down and say, oh, today I'm going to write a tune? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it depends on what mood I'm in, honestly. There was this one time, there's uh, not a tune that I have on my album yet. I'm in the process of making another one hopefully soon but uh this one tune i went to metis crossing which is um an interpretive site in alberta talking about metis history and all this stuff and i went there for one of their camps um for the weekend and when i got there i was sitting in their trappers tents that they have for uh for a reservation for camping. And all of a sudden there's this melody playing in my head and I'm like, what is happening? What is this tune? I've never heard this tune in my life. Like I've never heard it and it's just stuck in my head. It was just this super cool rhythmic little section. I'm like, okay. So I got my dad and I'm like, dad, you need to sit down with me and we gotta, we gotta figure this out. So I think it took like 20 minutes and the whole tune was written. There's like three parts to it. The, the, little um, melody that was stuck in my head that's the middle section and I uh, everything just kind of flowed out through that um, uh, which was really cool because something like that never happened before it was kind of like something really cool a different experience for sure to have that like a, a wave of like melodies coming out of your head and it's like whoa <laughs> where are these wow. coming from 
I actually had to, yeah, I actually had to talk to a lot of different musicians and fiddle players in the area saying, is this a tune? Like, cause I wrote it, I wrote it in like 15 minutes and I want to make sure I'm not misremembering that this is actually someone else's tune and credit crediting it as mine. So that's something I definitely didn't want to do. And everyone that I talked to said, no, I've never heard that before. So it depends on where you, where I am in my personal opinion, where I am located and what kind of like mood I've been in, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. So is it a tune or is it a memory that you didn't quite, but then, then, or is it, or did it come from somewhere magical, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's, that's really cool. I'll look forward to hearing that on your next album. Yeah. Um, I'm really enjoying your album um, that we downloaded up uh, Bandcamp, um, Scratch'em. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about your, about this album and, uh, and maybe what your favorite tune is. So or is that like picking album. your favorite kid? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, but I do have a couple of favorites on there. Um, this album, well, of course, it's my very first album. And I had the awesome opportunity of working with my friend to help record me. His name is Clinton Peltier. He's in Edmonton. He runs his own studio. And it was like really great to be able to work with him. And then also as um, like partners in my CD, which was something really special. He was the guitar player on my album as well. So all the cool nice. fancy likes is, yeah, okay. all the cool fancy likes is Clint, uh, really <laughs> cool guy. And I wanted this album to mainly be like a kind of like nostalgia for me because growing up, I was surrounded by kitchen parties almost every month or once every six months. These kitchen parties would happen all the time at my grandparents' house. And I remember being a little girl sitting under tables and chairs, seeing everybody's mm. feet tap and seeing the fiddles and the guitars playing. So uh, I was very fortunate in that way to get that experience uh, regarding fiddle playing. Um, so this album, I wanted it to be more of like the jam tunes that I heard at these kitchen parties. So most of the tunes, actually, yeah, most of the tunes are um, the jam tunes that they used to play and all this stuff. But of course, I did write a couple of my own. But my one favorite tune that I have is Big Bear. It's a tune written by John Arcand, um, my all-time favorite fiddle player. <laughs> I've always yeah. loved his fiddle playing as well. So uh, being able to play my version of his tune on my album was something really cool. Probably my favorite um, song to listen to on my album. We talk a little bit about growing up uh, Metis and it, what that means to you and yeah um, growing up Metis it's been uh, honestly I didn't really grow up in it uh, not knowingly right I wasn't consciously aware that the environment that I grew up in was Metis culture I only started learning that like kitchen parties and these 
big music gatherings were like a Métis cultural thing and jigging especially that jigging is a Métis thing um I started learning that when I was like 12 like you know in like in middle school um and I'm like oh you know that kind of sounds familiar like <laughs> when you're talking about in the textbook it kind of sounds like what my family does like every day um which is kind of funny because I'm like oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that that was a culture. I thought every family did this. So yeah. it was just so in, ingrained in my life that I didn't even realize that it was like something other than another culture. I thought it was just like every family did this. Every family had a fiddle lying around and every family had uh, kitchen parties and bannock laying around, you know, like <laughs> I thought everybody had these. But as I started to pick up the fiddle, and learn more about my culture, I was like, whoa, this is actually something that's been influenced in my life since the beginning. Um, being able to have like little moccasins and like sashes and stuff, always having those around. And definitely something that helped my family dig deeper into our Métis culture was me picking up the fiddle. I think when I was about 12 or 13, this is when I started first getting performances and gigs in Métis communities and Métis events. So going to these events and experiencing and learning new stories about our culture was something that really helped inspire us to learn more about our culture and learn more about our people um, and all that fun stuff. So it's been a, it's definitely been a journey, but it's been amazing. Yeah. So your fiddle has brought you back to yourself in a way. Yeah, definitely. I know Elizabeth has some questions about dance. Elizabeth yes. is a dancer and a dance oh. teacher and uh, a dance expert, scholar. She's amazing. <laughs> I was, uh, we were chatting earlier and I was saying that there's such a, there's a joyous quality about about your music that just seems to wrap its arms around you. And as, as a dancer, that's that's everything. And I was, I was my ears perked up and I, and I heard that you, uh, you jigged as well. You're, are you are you still a dancer? Yeah, I jig a little bit. Um, yeah. I'm just a very basic beginner of it, yeah. but I'm learning. Yeah. Can can you can you tell us about the the Métis jigging tradition? That's that's the solo dance tradition, right? The, uh, the Red River jigging. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I don't know too too much, but. Uh, I know a little bit about the dancing. It's definitely influenced from both the Irish step dancing and also, actually there's four different components. I learned this last year. I learned this last summer. There's four different components to the Métis jig. Uh, there's the Scottish step dance, the um, Irish, so, uh, this, the sword dance. I can't remember which one that is. Um, and the uh, chicken dances. Thank you. Um, Scottish, uh, the chicken dance for the first nations and um I can't remember the last one, but these are uh, all different um, 
sides of our culture that come together to create our dance. Because if you look at the Métis dance, your upper body is very stiff, but your lower body is doing all of the work, which is very, like, you know, Scottish and Irish, right? (laughs) And definitely the quick feet is the chicken dance from the First Nations. Um, Yeah, so that's really cool. I This was... Yeah, there's a video on YouTube called um, History of the Métis Jig that I really recommend everybody watching because it's it's really informative and really well done as well. It was really cool. Um, but they talk about how each step is influenced um, and each dance is influenced from each side, each sides of our culture, from the, the First Nations and the European side, right? Because that's who we are. We're a combination of the both of them, which mm-hmm. is something very unique because we're taking mm-hmm. two totally different cultures and creating our own out of it. Well, and and, and really thanks, to, thanks to social media and, and the fact that dancers spend their time online watching other people dance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are obsessed with our dance videos. Um, it's uh, uh, Métis jig, the Métis jigging tradition is getting a prominence now, uh, especially amongst uh, North American traditional percussive dancers. We, we, we are in love with it. I was um, I, I uh, attended uh, virtually this year the Fleury Festival, and uh, Yvonne Chartrain from uh, from Vancouver. Uh, was one of the featured instructors. She was she was delightful, and she and she uh, and, and it was and, and her her workshops were uh, uh, were well attended, received a lot of attention, and 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 just great great response. Yeah, and she's doing very interesting work in Vancouver, um, fusing uh, traditional Métis uh, uh, dance with contemporary dance, and she's she's breaking breaking new ground there. Um, uh, 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 Nick Garris says uh, that um, he, he describes musicians as dancers who hold things. <laughs> <laughs> I like and, that. Uh, it, it, it's so perfect because especially when you're a percussive dancer uh, working with a musician, <laughs> working with a musician, there's a veil you cross through, the tube you cross through at some point, right? Where the dancer be, mm-hmm. becomes a musician and the musician becomes absorbed with the dance and the two of you are having this wonderful conversation. And uh, so you would, you would play for dancers. What is it that, uh, that you enjoy when you play for a dancer? What is it you look for uh, when you're, when you're playing for dancers? Oh, there's just something about the way, especially when it comes to partner dancing and like, if they have good chemistry, if they're either like siblings or a couple, like if they have just good chemistry and they're dancing and having a great time, I get so inspired by that while I'm playing that I kind of match their energy through my bow and my, and my fiddle playing. Um, and I get their kind of like the bounce of their feet and I kind of replicate it with my bow. If you have a really good dancer on the floor, um, I find that the music is just so much more upbeat and so much more um, enjoyable to listen to because of having all these energetic and very, very uh, amazing dancers on the floor, especially if they're even if they're not amazing dancers and they don't really know what they're doing and they're just having a lot of fun and they're uh, just (laughs) there for the laughs and there for having a lot of fun, then that's something that really is special as well and that's something that I definitely miss uh, when it comes to events seeing dancers and seeing the chemistry on the dance floor between people and between couples and stuff which is really cool that's something that I love to see when I play for dancers 
So if you were, um, if you had a, an aspiring fiddler sit down across from you and ask what the secret was to, to great dance fiddling, what would it be? Something that I definitely did as a beginner to this dancing world, playing for dances, is looking at the other musicians around you. And especially if there's another fiddle player, kind of looking and replicating and kind of like taking notes of what they're doing on stage. Are they like, you know, looking at their body language or like they stiff? Are they not really moving? Or are they like looking around the band and looking at the dance floor, smiling, having fun dancing? (laughs) And if you notice the people that are, you know, a bit more like looser and dancing on the stage more, people enjoy the music a bit more because Uh they enjoy that having the visual of them enjoying themselves as well. As long as, uh, along with playing amazing music, uh, something that goes, hand in hand with each other so definitely looking and listening to other musicians is something that's really important when it comes to dancing but Mm. looking at the dancers feet is also very important when it comes Mm. to playing for dances because it helps not only with your tempo but also helps kind of like again replicate that bouncing feeling of the and the bouncing uh, bow and their feet you know what i mean it it all goes hand in hand together which is really special it's really cool Mm. Uh, right. When you get to see oh, yeah. uh, fiddle players and dancers and just musicians in general playing and dancing with each other. It's so cool. Oh, it's, it's, it's magical. Yeah. It really is. Bouncing off the uh, idea of the joy. What, one of the things that our uh, audience at Rejigged loved about you and uh, Colton there um, was that you guys were just radiating joy and it looked like you were having such a good time and people were just like giggling as they were watching um, your video because it was it was it was really joyful and really special um, so but what I'm wondering is uh, it, so it's obvious that you can access joy with your music but um, can you also access other emotions and you know like <laughs> Is there room in uh, in this kind of trap music for like despair and? Yeah, yeah. definitely. There is, uh, like you said, there's definitely joy and there's definitely that happy feeling. But when it comes to just um, when you want to create a sadder emotion or just like you want to touch people's like hearts and want to be like there for one another. I find that it's like the nostalgia songs of like playing tunes from like Don Mess or like the slower waltzes or the airs like Maiden's Prayer um, and all of those old time tunes that like you would hear on the radio station when you were a young kid back few years ago like years ago right um back when my grandma was a kid that's uh something that was very special too is getting like maybe like getting a record and like hearing like those those waltzes and hearing those uh those airs and stuff definitely um when it comes to the old time fiddle playing that's definitely something that is uh, you can definitely evoke emotion from is like the nostalgia and the, Oh, I remember this when I was a kid and maybe a few tears can be shed as well. But when it comes to the, the Métis, definitely, um, it's, uh, definitely a bit different because a lot of the time, um, well, actually, Métis and old-time fiddling, they actually go hand-in-hand. Hand. There's quite a few tunes that can be either old-time fiddling or Métis. Um, so I bet the same thing. I can't really uh, answer too much about the, the Métis side, but there are tunes where kind of like the hardships of the Métis where you kind of hear like the the sadness of kind of what we've been through and like 
but we always somehow come back and with, uh, you know, we're so resilient and all this stuff, but there has been those times where it's like, oh, geez, like what is going on? It's, this is so hard. And there are tunes that have that emotion of like the hard times and the hardships of just what has happened, but also there's like that kind of underlying tone of there's, there's hope there's, we're resilient. We're strong people. Um, so definitely music has that um, feeling in Meiji as well, which is very special. You made my heart jump when you said Don Messer. <laughs> because uh, we're sitting here uh, in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and uh, this is uh, Don Messer country. Yeah, Don Messer is definitely one of the fiddle players that definitely inspired me the most uh, when I first started looking at records and fiddle players. Don Messer was one of the first people that I was like, ooh, I really like this. And I actually YouTubed some of the shows watching watching them. And I actually watched quite a few of them as a kid. Um, well, as a kid, like, you know, early teenager, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like 12, 13 years old. But mm-hmm. I actually started to play at the end of my shows Till We Meet Again. Uh, the very last song that he plays for his shows. So, and yeah. when we were all able to be in person, uh, everyone would sing along too, which definitely like pulled at your heartstrings. It's like, oh, this is so special. Yeah. This is so great. <laughs> and uh, there's so many times that I left that that I left shows and I had goosebumps because everyone was singing and having such a great time. And I'm like, oh, this is so great. Like, even some of the like the, the people my age, they know who Don Messer is, and I'm like. Yes, <laughs> keep his like legacy alive with oh this song. Gosh. So that's, that's something that um, definitely Don Messer helped me out a lot with is like the uh, the definitely not only the nostalgia but just his overall presence as a fiddle player and a musician. Just such a fantastic fiddle player. Yeah, he was a national treasure, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, and just for our audience who. Uh, who aren't based in Canada. Um, uh, Elizabeth or Brianna, maybe Elizabeth, uh, can you tell us like 25 words or less what he had a show, mm. didn't he? He's called Don Messer's Jubilee. Don, Don Messer's Jubilee. Okay. Uh, Don Messer is, uh, take more than 25 words, but when my parents <laughs> were courting in the 1930s, they used to go to dances in New Brunswick where Don Messer and the Lumberjacks, New Brunswick Lumberjacks would play. And Charlie Chamberlain was uh, part of that. Uh, and some of the uh, some of the musicians who then uh, who stayed with them for years when they went to Prince Red Island and then came to, to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And uh, he had a, a national television program, Don Messer's Jubilee, that played for years. It was part of our growing up. Every Friday night, you everyone sat around the television set, watched Don Messer's Jubilee, and I wanted to be a book to dancer. <laughs> for anybody who remembers the book, The Dancers. Um, and uh, in fact, when CBC canceled um, uh, Don Messer's Jubilee, I think around 1968, 69, 
It was a national outcry. It was raised in Parliament. There were petitions uh, because uh, the CBC wanted to modernize and move forward. But uh, uh, the, the Don Mester was, was a part of the fabric of the country. How did you get into teaching? Do you work with local schools? How do you find your students? And how do you get your fiddle? How do you get fiddles into the hands of kids? I started teaching. Ooh, when did I start teaching? I think I started teaching when I was, I did my first fiddle lesson when I was 16, I think. So about five years ago. Whoa, that's crazy. About five years ago coming this September. Uh, it's four years ago now. Uh, but I, I remember walking in and I was like, oh my gosh, I am so nervous. Like, this is crazy. Um, I had, I think, like eight students and they like never touched a fiddle before. And I'm like, oh, you've never touched a fiddle. <laughs> this is not, this is, uh, I've never done this before. And uh, uh, it, I want to say, you know, it was like, it went really well. It went really great. It didn't, it, it was, <laughs> it was very bad. Um, maybe not too terrible, but I definitely did not have the teaching ability at that time to like sit and kind of like, like get a hold of the class, especially when they started talking with one another and started like, you know, not really concentrating. And I didn't really know the, the sweet spot of lesson, like how long lessons should be uh, per workshop. I find that it's about 30 to 45 minutes where students are really, really listening um, mm -hmm. and are able to uh, uh, understand that knowledge that you're giving them and giving them new information. But as soon as you pass 45 minutes and you start hitting the hour, maybe even hour 15, it's like definitely you start to lose a lot because their hands start to hurt and their fingers. And because especially when they haven't touched the fiddle before, your fingers get very sore and so does your wrists, uh, especially when it comes to bowing. Um, so definitely that, that was something that I had to come, uh, definitely had to learn on my own uh, through trial and error of, okay, 20 minutes is too short. Half an hour is okay, but 40 to 45 minutes is that good sweet spot of it's long enough that lessons are good, but also short enough where people don't start to get tired. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, my first lesson was when I was 16. I have been able to teach different fiddle lessons. I, I'm a, a teacher, a beginner fiddle teacher at a fiddle camp um, called The Hills Are Alive down in Cypress Hills near Medicine Hat. So I've been doing that for the last two years. Uh, well, 2018, 2019, I was able to do it. Um, but being able to teach and have my own fiddle class was something I aspired to do when I was like 12 years old, going to my first uh, fiddle camp, Camp Calvin in uh, St. Edward. It was like I remember looking at the teachers and looking at them playing their shows at the end of the day, um, having like a, a, a an instructor concert. I was always like, oh, it would be so cool to be one of those instructors to teach other musicians and teach other fiddle players to play tunes and or maybe even to begin to play tunes. Um, so being able to be a teacher at the fiddle camp uh, the past few years has been something super incredible, super, I've been super appreciative of that and something really special. And um, I, I remember what I was saying, but I can't remember it now. But 
uh, oh, the fiddles, when it comes to getting fiddles into kids' hands, this is something that is my overall goal of um, having my CD and teaching lessons. Every time I sell my CD, about two to five dollars goes into my own little like charity that uh, kind of gets tucked away for uh, saving up for fiddles. I've been able to gift out three fiddles so far um, to students um, every time I do lessons and uh, especially through the Métis Nation of Alberta they have different events throughout the year um, and different events I go to I teach little workshops of fiddles and most of the time these kids don't have their own fiddles and they don't have lessons and they don't really have anything to learn off of so as the weekend progresses and if there's one kid or two kids that stick around and that are really trying to learn that are really interested they kind of I keep in my eye on them and at the end of the weekend if they're they came to every workshop and they came to each lesson ready to go uh, at the end of the day uh, I want I give them a fiddle so I've been able to do that three times already um, but I haven't been able to do that recently, which is uh, something that really sucks. And it's uh, been a bit of a damper, but I've been able to save up a little bit more money to go towards these fiddles to get more fiddles for these kids. Um, not only kids, but just young adults as well. Uh, people who are really interested and who aren't able to afford their own fiddles. And I try to set them up with a fiddle teacher in their surrounding area. So uh yeah, that's my all-time goal when it comes to teaching beginner lessons um, and beginner workshops uh, wherever I go. I always keep my eye out for kids that don't have their own fiddles. So if somebody wanted to contribute to that fund, they could go to Bandcamp, um, download your album, and they can choose whatever amount they want to. I think I think the base number is uh, $10. Okay. Um, we'll, so we'll, we'll put the link to your... Um, to your Bandcamp account uh, on the web page for this, and then we'll talk about it at the end when I when I do the extra. So awesome. um, we'll make sure that you have uh, that information out there, and so people can uh, find out where to reach you. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. If you like this episode, please give it a five star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And since word-of-mouth advertising is the best way for us to make new friends, tell all your friends about us. If you want to follow Brianna's evolving career, visit her website at briannalazot.ca. If you'd like to download Brianna's album, Scratch'em, you can do so on the Bandcamp website. Bandcamp suggests a minimum price for the album, but if you give more, Brianna can use that money to source fiddles for young musicians. We'd like to thank the Rejig Festival, an annual festival in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, that celebrates new directions in Celtic music, dance, and song. For more information, visit our website at rejigfestival.com. Talisk is the name of the band that kindly lent us their tune Echo as our theme music. You can find out more about them on their website, talisk.co.uk. Thanks, Talisk. Mark Bashinsky is our sound engineer. Goromayagat to the Emigrant Support Program of the Department of Foreign Affairs of the Government of Ireland. So that's bye for now from me, Christine. Join us next time on Between the Jigs. Mm-hmm.